You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to. Welcome to. Mile High Hockey Mile. Mile High Hockey Mile. Hello and welcome to the Mile High Hockey Lab. My name is Adrian Hernandez. I am your host. I am here today with Ezra Parter and Jackie Kay of MileHighHockey.com. Thank you so much, you two, for joining me. Today we're going to talk a little bit about a few different things, but before we get into that, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And if you have any questions or want a little bit more in-depth coverage, don't forget to head on over to MileHighHockey.com for that. And we thank you for joining us. So first of all, I just want to start by talking about the way that Alexander Gorgiev uh, played against his former squad in the New York Rangers in an overtime victory. And you know what? It it just looked like he he wanted that one. What do you think, Ezra? Yeah, I mean, you could tell from the jump he was driven. He was... He was locked in focus. His his warm up was great. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much warm up necessarily plays into everything, but he definitely was locked in and he wanted to make a statement. You know, he was stuck behind Shesterkin for so long. He he wants to prove himself pretty bad, and and he he did. I mean, he he didn't have to do anything incredible, but he did some. He had some great saves, and he he was track and play all night. He was playing playing fantastic. Yeah, and I don't I don't really know if. Uh... Gorgiev understands the void that's been left behind by, I mean, namely Patrick Waugh. I know we've had great goaltending mm. in the past, but we've not had a goaltender who plays and displays like passion, kind of like we saw from Gorgiev in and after he won in the shootout. And I think that yeah. sort of thing can galvanize not just the team, but also the fan base. And he seems like a guy that the Colorado Avalanche fans can really get behind. Jackie, what do you think about that? Do you think that's the case? I think he reminds me a little bit about of Varley. Okay. And maybe it's that Russian style, okay. but I think it's also that uh, more aggressive athletic style. And uh, Varley was one of my favorites. So I think, he can work his way into becoming a fan favorite like that. Right. And that's a good point. Maybe it is like the Russian lineage, um, especially with like the aggressive style. I, I, he's not even really too aggressive, um, but I like you can tell he's comfortable with being an aggressive style keeper. And then another person that stuck up, uh, stuck out to me in that contest and throughout the season so far has been Valerian Nachushkin who before last night had seven goals in seven games. Um, Jackie, what do you think has been the key to Nachushkin's success so far this season? Um, I think there's two things. One, and Bednar mentioned this, is confidence. So I think um, just after winning the Cup and maybe getting that contract, he's just really high on confidence. And that seems to really work in his puck handling and that that move that he – I made against Vegas for that goal. I mean, that definitely takes mm. a lot of confidence to even try a move like that, much less complete it for a goal. So 
Uh, I think that's working for him. And then two is the power play. I think five of his seven goals have been scored on the power play, which is great for the power play, but it hasn't quite been clicking as much five on five, like with the new hook line and everything. So I think he's really helped that power play and, and replace the loss of Kadri there in the bumper position. So he's, he's doing really well in the net front. And so I, I think those two things are what's really working well for him. Yeah. And I would agree with that, especially the power play thing. And I would say too, like, and maybe Ezra, you can tell me what you think of this. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's sustainable? Because like we see Ovechkin, he gets 50 a year basically every year because he's in that Ovechkin zone on the power play. He's bound to get 25 to 30 <laughs> just on the power play. Is that something we could see from Nachushkin or do you think we start to see him kind of level off? Well, I mean, I think I think his his level of play is sustainable. Everything going in for him is not sustainable. Yeah. He's not going to score a goal every game. He's not going to have 82 goals this right. season. That's yeah, not, not going to shoot 30%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, his shooting percentage is super high, but his his work ethic is maintainable and uh, is sustainable, I should say. And and absolutely, like, the impact he has on the game each and every night, that is sustainable. Statistically, he's going to cool off. That happens. Uh, the leading scorer on this team at the end of the season is going to probably be Nathan McKinnon or Miko Rantanen, right. not Valerie yeah. Nutushkin, but he's going to be right there. He's going to be, uh, if he doesn't finish, if, if everybody plays all the games, you know, or as many games as, as uh, you know, is necessary to put up statistics. I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't finish in the top five. Yeah. Uh, for the average. I think that's a reasonable projection. And Jackie, do you think that he'll probably improve upon his uh, career high? I think he's 52 or 53 points last year. Um, he's well on his way to surpassing that. Do you think that's something that we'll see from him? Yeah, having 12 points already helps. I'd, I'd put him maybe in the 60 range because okay. um, he is going to get a lot of minutes. He's going to get a lot of power play time. But I agree with Ezra that um, probably not the rate is not sustainable, but um, that's probably what I'm looking for. I think 60 points is a good second line for what he's getting paid and and everything so i think he can hit that yeah. but um it is it's always a lot to ask for a career year out of somebody though mm-hmm. but um having a good start is <laughs> helps yeah out. it's like a gift and a curse to start off so hot because yeah it's october <laughs> and, it and i'm time. talking about Nachushkin having a career high yeah. year you know what i mean so he's yeah i think he's the kind of guy that can handle those expectations and you know yeah. speaking more on expectations a lot of the build-up going into the rangers game surrounded the fact that the Avs and the Rangers could possibly be a Stanley Cup final preview. And if we're talking about getting way too ahead of ourselves, if that were the case, how does that match up given the current roster? We don't really know what the roster will look like then. But how does that matchup look like to you, folks? You know, this went to overtime. And as you can start, tell me sure. what what would that look like in your mind? Oh man, that'll be such a fun series if that happens. I think it's two teams that really, really, really like to play fast and play uh, an offensive style, but have very solid defensemen. I mean, the Avalanche have, I would say, the best top six in in defense uh, defensemen uh, in the league, uh, with maybe Calgary rivaling them, and then New York is probably the next 
in that next group, at least I wouldn't, I won't, I don't want to say they're number three. I'd have to look over everybody's rosters again before I make any <laughs> sweeping declarations like that. But, um, but definitely I think they're in the next, the next group with strong defense. Uh, uh, and I, I mean, come on, Fox McCarr going back and forth up and down the ice. That's going to be really fun. Uh, McKinnon is much better than Zabanajad as a player overall, but Zabanajad is <laughs> going to keep, try to keep up and that's going to be yeah. fun too. Uh, both teams hopefully have young kids that are flying and making things happen. That'd be a really fun series. Yeah. And Jackie, you can maybe talk about this too. Yeah. It seems like the Rangers have a good balance and makeup in terms of young talent and veteran talent. Um, who's like one of the young guys for the Rangers that has really had your eye? Oh, it's uh, Alexi Lafreniere, the first overall pick for sure. Um, I think his hype got a little bit diminished just because he didn't jump out of the gate and score like 60 or whatever. But uh, I noticed him in that game in particular. Um, he was also working really well defensively. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I think he was the guy that tipped a couple of the abs breakout passes that really disrupted them. So I think he's a guy where he's going to get more responsibility in minutes and then it's going to show up in, in the points, which I think it did last playoffs because I know he was part of that line that did really well. So I think mm-hmm. he's getting slept on a little bit and uh, he's going to be a big part of their team. Yep. But I like the matchup too, especially because the abs came out on top. Right. So <laughs> it's not like it's insurmountable if they matched up in a series, but um, well, it's, I could see it. And it seems like to me, at least at the very least, Gorgiev can hold his own against the Vesna winning goaltender on the other side, which is, like if you told me the Avalanche are going to lose Nazem Kadri, but they might have a top three goaltender, I think I'm game. Yeah, that'd be I think incredible. I'm down with that. I, and it's mm-hmm. it's that's that's a way to win too. You know, imagine this team who can score, hopefully, seemingly at will at times, um, and then having a net member behind him where you're confident that he might even just get a shutout. That's that's where I think we get start getting into the dynastic dominant level of play from the avalanche but to to go back to the game i don't know what it is about overtime but you would think that the avalanche would be perfectly suited for winning just about every overtime because of their speed and skill in the three on three what is it ezra and why do you think that it just doesn't seem to work you know i think Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen both love uh, to play offense mm-hmm. and they love to take risks in the offensive zone and they love to try to make something happen in overtime. And I don't think that that's uh, a bad thing. Um, but I do think that with the two of them out there and also often with Kale, who does the same thing. And I think, I think overall, this is like Bednar's philosophy on overtime. Um, uh, but with the three of them out there at the same time, taking risks in the offensive zone together, they aren't always, they're thinking about scoring the goal to win the game rather than uh, worrying about giving up a goal to lose the game. And and I do think that that's a good thing. I think that works. Uh, and I, again, I think that's Bednar's style. He says, hey, we already got the point. Go out there, uh, <laughs> see if you can get us that next one right away. Um, but that leads to odd man rushes the other way. And, and we see... Uh, the abs losing overtime a lot right and uh, yeah i guess it's one of those like live by the sword die by the sword type of things because you see a lot of other teams they are way more conscientious about possession in overtime than i think the avalanche are and i think you kind of spoke to why it's just like there's a a 
an overarching game plan to just try and end the game um, with all that talent. But Jackie, do you think that there's like a fix or something maybe the Avalanche could entertain that could make them more reliable in that scenario? Because you don't want to give away points inside the division three on three. Yeah, it's especially disappointing when they uh, give up a goal so fast. Like if it goes back and forth a few minutes, then you're kind of like, okay, it's a coin flip. But uh, like against Winnipeg when they gave it up so fast, yeah. it's just like, oh, they just didn't even get started. But um, I agree. It's kind of counterintuitive, but overtime uh, can be slowed down a bit and it takes more patience. And I think creativity and playmaking, and that's not necessarily you have strength or uh, a lot about attack, counterattack. And um, that's why I think they're good at the counterattack when it happens during overtime. And one of the fixes I would make is to put McKinnon out in the second shift as sort of like the counterattack guy, because then I think he can hopefully take advantage of maybe uh, tired uh, first shift players on the other team and then use his speed and strength in that way. They, they need somebody to play make and Miko's actually a really good playmaker, but he doesn't play that role. So I think if, if they somehow allowed him to slow it down um, and, and like you all mentioned that the possession is something they don't really value that much and a focus more on playmaking, I think would go a long way. Now I know that they have uh, limited options. Uh, I know Benner likes to put out somebody to win the face off. So that would be Kadri a lot last year right. and they don't have him anymore. And, and if they had Landy available, then he could be a guy out there to take the face off and play maybe a little bit more possession style. So I think, it just takes some reimagining. I'd also like uh, if Newhook gets a little bit more confidence with the puck, I think he's somebody that could play more of that playmaking style. Um, I, I think Byram, he was out there on a shift against uh, New York. So I think they're going to work him in and he's a very aggressive playmaker, which I think is something that could work well in three on three. So they just have to get to that point. They have to survive the first shift and then maybe work in some of these other players that I think could, um, make some more creative and, and playmaking type plays. Yeah. I think I'd agree with you. And I, I like that you are keying on like maybe involving some of the other players on the roster, because I think just based on breaking down how the Miko and typically gave, <clears throat> excuse me, and Nate play together. Uh, like you said, it's a lot about counter counter rush and I like the idea of that third or that defender, that third player on a long, long shift after that first group possess the puck. And then here comes Nathan McKinnon to win the game and scorch right by you. I think that that's a pretty smart tactic. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it starts to become the model because as it is, the Avalanche are a story because they should be really good on the in overtime but aren't. And I think there could be a story where it's like they should be and they are, but they're getting it from people you wouldn't expect it. And I think that's something that they should definitely um, entertain and to keep going kind of on this Ranger game. I just feel like what is it, Jackie, you can talk. You've watched a lot of New Hook. What is it right now that's kind of keeping New Hook from just taking that little step he needs to take to come to the forefront? Um, it's tough. I think the popular opinion out there is maybe that it's because he's playing center and that maybe he's more of a winger. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not ready to give up on him at center. Um, 
I don't think playing with Rodriguez is helping. Uh, and Rodriguez has looked better lately, but I think for whatever reason, it's not meshing with the two. Maybe it can later, but it's kind of unfair to ask somebody that's new and trying to figure out the system and the way the team plays, and then that's your main winger. Um, he really – and I know they had uh, Nuke there for a while, and he he is a really good linemate, but I just think, like, the confidence is low, and he's just not shooting the puck. Like, he yeah. only has 10 shot attempts, I think, through this point. So 10 shot attempts through eight games is – that's not enough. Yeah. Like he's not involved enough with the puck, but um, so like I said, I think that is a confidence thing, but everything's just been so jumbled. I just wish that there was maybe um, some consistency that, that could help him. And, and with the lineup, the way they have right now, I, I don't know where they're going to find it because they really only have like one line. Right. So maybe if they tried something like him with Miko and, and him and Miko kind of switch off center duties, maybe that's, something that would help him because he just really needs to get like the skill back in his game and the playmaking and the confidence of the puck. And I think once that happens, then maybe he can start to take off and, and be able to kind of own a line a little bit more than, than what he's doing right now. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about they're kind of asking him to create his own space right now, which I don't think is too much to ask of a guy you want to be your second line center inevitably. But I think in the current climate, and given the situation and how new he is to the role, like I don't, I don't see the benefit in in not giving him ideal uh, line mates to bolster that confidence. That just doesn't seem to be there. Ezra, do you think that that's kind of like something that doesn't actually make sense? Because maybe he's not playing well, and he'll bring down some of these other guys. <laughs> or how do you feel about that? No, I think he is playing well. I think um, in the New Jersey game you saw uh, a little bit of him like faltering. But b before that, I really felt like he was playing well at night in and night out. He just wasn't able to convert specifically like in Seattle. He had so many great chances against uh, Grubauer and uh, uh, Grubauer made the stop, you know? Right. Um, but then, um, but then in New Jersey, we saw like on the power play, he had an opportunity in the slot and he kind of just uh, like froze up and dished it back instead of taking the shot. And you need to see him taking those shots. Yeah. I, I do think, pairing him with with miko is a is a good idea i it's, it's splitting up nate and miko is is an option right we saw it happen last year but also i feel like it's something that without uh landis in the lineup bednar's pretty reluctant to do um because you do you know you do rely on those guys to to produce offense and other than last night right. uh in new jersey they they have been and um and you need that um i think it's it's tricky. I, I would be interested to see what a lineup where Rodriguez and Comfer switch spots hmm. uh, would would produce. Because uh, I always like Comfer better on the right wing than at center. I do I too. He's just he just he just can play more of a straight ahead uh, game, and he's he's more effective on the wing. I think so. Seeing what he would look like on the right wing with uh, Newhook, and hopefully Nutrition can come back quickly. I think that is intriguing to me. And then we can see what Rodriguez can do as a center because that's where he's excelled his whole career. Yeah, and we've talked about it before. Like, JT Comfer is so opportunistic. And, like, mm -hmm. I think that does suit a winger more than a center because your center's kind of got to drive the play, especially in transition. So it's like I don't think he, he is – I agree, he's more suited to come from the wing. And I do think he'd be a good solid pair with Nui 
even based on like familiarity. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. a huge deal. And Jackie alluded to it with Rodriguez is there's just a lack of familiarity. They've probably played hockey together for what now, like three, four months and hardly a month of live action. So I totally agree. Um, I think new hook is, it's not, time to quit i don't even think it's time to assess i think we'll we'll see where he's at in maybe three or four weeks and then we'll kind of have a better understanding um but a guy to me who constantly goes under the radar despite his success is miko rantanen who has nine goal excuse me nine points in eight games played so he's a point per game player as usual um why is it that Miko constantly flies under the radar, Jackie? Um, I think a couple of reasons. One, obviously, just um, McCarr and McKinnon get a lot of the national spotlight. You know, they're considered the two stars on the team, um, despite Miko basically producing like how McKinnon does. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little unfair. I think also the way that he plays, he does play a little bit more creative, more of a playmaking. And that's just not really what the abs are known for. Right. So I think even though he's so different, he should get noticed because he's like the only guy, like those incredible passes he was making from behind the net. I mean, that's just such a Miko specialty, yeah. but those really go unnoticed. I think like, because he's such a big guy, sometimes you hear on national broadcasts, like talking about him more, as like a power forward right. and that's not really him. Mm-hmm. So I think, I maybe just not quite an understanding of why he's so good. I think people can see his production and and they think of him as a top 10 winger in the league, but I think he's better than that. I think he's more like top five. And I'd agree. So, so it's a little bit like, I think he does get respect and, and, and accolades, but maybe not quite to the level he deserves. So it, it's a little bit, little bit of both. Yeah. And I always think it's funny when they talk about Miko Ranton and it's like, Oh, well, it'd be real nice to play alongside Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. I I'd be. A, oh yeah. And he's so not a product. Yeah, exactly. And that's, all. he's, he's been <laughs> he almost more too. successful without Nate and Landeskog statistically, he's been more successful. So that, that argument just does not hold any water. And statistically, yeah. Miko is the team's best power play player. Like he's better than McCarr and McKinnon. Right. Like statistically, he is the one that has produced the most um, points on the power play. Right. And I think for Miko, the respect he's after is probably among his peers and coaches and uh, other players. But do you think around the league, Ezra, do you think that he gets as much uh, of the limelight or respect as he deserves? You know, I think we don't hear about him as much in the media, like like Jackie said. But I do think that like teams know. Right. You know, yeah. uh, everybody scouted this guy, and every and and all their in in as a kid, and and he went tenth overall. Uh, people know he's a he's a good player, and everybody scouted him as a pro, and they've seen what's been going on. So I, I would be surprised to hear that opposing coaches aren't game planning for right. Nico Rantanen. Uh, they must be. Um, uh, he's he's too good to to be. Um, below anyone's radar and also i mean um i think we kind of uh because people talk about mckinnon and mccarr so much nationally we kind of uh it's easy to think that people disregard ranton but then you see things like uh rankings of the best players in the league from like the athletic or somewhere else and he is in the top five right wings he consistently like he's he's always up there with uh 
Who else is a top five right wing? Who am I forgetting? Post- there's somebody. There's somebody who keeps being ahead of him. Pasternak. Pasternak. Yeah. Typically yeah. positive. Um, but that's it's really just the two of them, and then some other people will throw somebody else in there ahead of Miko for some reason. Yeah, I don't know who it is. I don't have it. It's not coming to mind. Patrick but, Kane. Uh, Sometimes I forget who's left. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Patrick yeah. Kane. Right Patrick Kane. Yeah, but even he, like everybody's like, okay, yeah, Patrick Kane's old news. He's still top ten, but he's old, you know. Yeah, and um, I think Miko's if you right just went there. forwards, I think he's a top forty, top thirty forward. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. I so agree. I completely yeah, agree. and I I I mean. I hope people keep not talking about him because that seems to work. <laughs> <laughs> he also has like he seems to just be so like he takes it easy, you yeah. know, in the regular season. In the playoffs, he's he's driven and he's he's at another level, or or he was last year at least. Um, but he he definitely looks like he's not trying that hard right. out there a lot. And then all of a sudden he has four assists, and you're like, wait, when? Yeah. Um, uh, he's he's a great great player who maybe could turn it up a level sometimes yeah um, i think to really uh get his name uh at the top of everybody's mind yeah because in the coming week is going to be the global series so i think he'll get a little bit of of the limelight him and patrick line will they're basically superstars celebrities back home so that should be pretty mm-hmm. special and uh yeah, it's gonna be fun that'll be cool i think uh the thing i'm looking most forward in that though is to see the content that comes out with Lekkonen and Rantanen kind of showing the guys other ropes. Yeah, I hope I hope there's a lot of content. Yeah, because it seems like um, one. I don't know what they're doing down in Finland, but they are cranking out hockey players left and right these days. And two, they seem to have like a culture that is a little bit different than North American culture. So I'm kind of interested to see how a lot of like the north the main like nathan mckinnon has never been to finland so like there's going to be some pretty funny content coming out of the camp get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a netflix live event happening may 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, so I'm excited yeah. for that. I, I, what do you guys think? What are you looking forward to in terms of the Global Series? Um, They promised they were going to a sauna, so I want to see some sauna content. <laughs> um me too i hope so like it's fun for fans to kind of see them on this adventure and and everything like that so um i hope they don't drop the ball because sometimes the team's content is a little (laughs) in miss let's just say and yeah um so i hope they really do focus on giving us something (laughs) during the whole weekend was Um, it sweden last time with landis gog and carlson right those were like the two 
headpieces. So, sort of, yeah, the the big names. Oh, because uh, that, that was that was the Matt point. Duchesne trade too, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, that was crazy. That was uh, when Sam Gerrard's first game was in Sweden. That's yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> Welcome to your new team. And Just walk across the hallway. I know. <laughs> There's a funny story when they called him and they told him he was traded and he needed to get to Sweden and he was like, "Excuse me," <laughs> he didn't realize that it was an NHL game in Sweden. So, oh my goodness! <laughs> For a second, he was like, "Why am I going to Sweden?" <laughs> I've been traded to the SEL. Yeah. Well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, a win would be nice. I'm kind of expecting a split. Yeah. It's really hard to beat a team back to back like that, and especially under those circumstances. So, I'm just hoping for a couple good games, at least one win, and and maybe a little sauna content. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I, I'm here for the sauna content. I'm just saying, Ezra, what do you think, man? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, sure. Let's see some Sonic. Yeah. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really care too much about like I don't. I, I'm a I'm a on ice guy. You know, I, I yeah. the off ice stuff is fun for for people who love it. For me, it doesn't really do anything for yeah. me. But uh, I'm really excited to see these games. And uh, you know, it's Columbus is such a weird team. I feel like they should be decent, but they aren't and they've got Gaudreau now. Uh, We'll see. I'm I'm curious to see what they look like on the ice. I haven't seen much of their them this season. Uh, And yeah, I I think a split is a reasonable expectation, but it'd be nice to see like, I don't know, some like maybe Martin Cout is like, Hey, now that I'm in Europe, I remember how to score. Uh, You (laughs) know, (laughs) it'd be nice to, it'd be nice to see some young guys step up out there and, uh, uh, or bottom of the lineup players. It doesn't even have to be young guys. Just any of our any of our depth players to outshine Columbus's depth would be nice. Yeah, and like what an experience for some of these guys who came in like two or three years ago, like around the same time as Makar and Newhook. Like this first three years of their NHL career have just been like a whirlwind of going and doing playing in the NHL COVID bubble, winning the Stanley Cup playing in Finland like it just it seems like I don't know how these guys keep their like calendars square (laughs) but uh, (laughs) we'll move on a little bit we'll talk about very briefly we'll talk about the Avalanche and Devils game Um, uh, Bednar I think put it best when he said (laughs) (laughs) he said it was low event hockey just give me one thing Jackie that you would take away from that game Oh gosh, one thing. Well, he's right. I mean, the shots were like twenty-four right. shots, and um, one thing. I do think New Jersey played well. I, I think they did a lot to disrupt the Avs. I don't think they played as poorly as they did against Seattle. So I think New Jersey had a lot to do with them not scoring. Um, I just think it really underscored their troubles at five on five right. because the power play's been so good, and. And players like McKinnon and Ranton and, and McCarr have been picking up points on the power play. And so I think it's sort of hiding the fact that they really are struggling at five and five, even the good players. Right. And so that's that's concerning. Sorry, I'm outside. No, you're okay. But um <laughs> so I I think uh after the good va- win against Vegas and, and that interesting game against the Rangers, I, I think you kind of it gets swept under the rug a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, like they couldn't even get one goal. Yeah. So Which, like, that's Ezra, do you that, think that's something do you think yeah. that there was anything in particular that 
they they were doing, the Devils were doing, that was limiting scoring chances and opportunities for the Avalanche? Or do you think it had more to do with Colorado than it did? Because Jackie seems to say, like, you know, the Devils played well. It wasn't just the Avs shooting themselves in the foot. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that. I thought I actually, like, watching the game, I, I did not expect that to finish one nothing. Yeah. Devils like looking at the the game flow on uh, natural Star Trek now the Devils carried play the entire time but watching it live I did not feel like Colorado got outplayed that badly and I really liked in the third period I hadn't seen any of this yet this season but McCarr and McKinnon were playing angry they yeah. they were out there like anytime they got a chance to rush up ice and like knock somebody out of their way and try to get a shot on net they did that right. but they weren't getting those shots on net it was weird like specifically uh on the power play they had back-to-back power plays in, in the third period where they had control of the puck the whole time and never and, and somehow uh the devils ended up adding to their shot totals and the avalanche did not right. uh devils got a couple of shorthanded shots and the avalanche just had possession but didn't do anything with it and i, I just feel like there's a is, it, the new hook um, a play that I mentioned earlier happened on and that power, one of those power plays. And it, there's that reluctance to shoot from new hook, but that kind of spoke to the whole team yeah. that night where Nathan and, uh, and McKinnon and, and, and McCarr were playing angry and trying to make things happen and things just weren't happening. Right. And nobody else was really stepping up to the plate to, to deliver that same uh, uh, with that same hunger. Yeah. And yeah, they were getting a lot of shots blocked, right? A lot um, of shots blocked. And they had so, to, they had to have in my mind because I, I wasn't able to watch a lot of the game because I was at the Nuggets game, like I told you to. But I, every time I looked down at my phone to check on the score, it was 0 0 and the Avs were on the power play. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this should be pretty good. And then I'd look down and it's second period, Avs are on the power play 0 0. And then when I got home, I saw the final score and I'm like, man. The Devils must have got some really good goaltending and some pretty good positional defensive play to limit the Avs' shots when they had to have had, I'm not sure the exact number, but three to four, maybe even five power plays? Uh, yeah, six, they got their power plays six. early, and yeah. that kind of hurt too because you knew the Devils were going to get uh, get the next ones. Right. They were going to get the later ones. So that's kind of the trouble with getting a lot of early power plays especially if you don't score on them because you know it's just going right back the other direction right so i i do think like like i said the devils played well to block those shots and get in those lanes but something about the way the abs are playing is just a touch too slow and they're not completing uh the passes they need to like the makara this highlight he broke some ankles again. The guy yeah. fell over on the blue line, but then he couldn't even get the pass to McKinnon. Yeah. Like it was tipped. It yeah. was just like, this doesn't happen. And so and even making that move, he lost the puck. And then he like, kind yeah. of the yeah. That's... threw the pass away. Like they're just off. They're, they're really just off. And yeah, I, I think it has, I mean, I would put that game on the top players, not performing the power play getting shut out is, is not the problem. But yeah. The, the devil's depth, I mean, they're not even that good. Yeah. <laughs> but the Devils' depth was like it shined. the The Devils' fourth line scored a goal that ended up getting taken off the board. But the Devils' fourth line like worked the Avalanche first line every time they matched up, and that's not you know, it's not know. ideal. Definitely it'd be, not. It'd be nice to have a, a Miles Wood of our own. I don't even like Miles Wood that much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or Mercer. That's the guy. Yeah, like. Mercer. Was yeah, nice Mercer's to have a Mercer. Yeah. Yes. So I like too. Jackie, I you said guys. they and you guys said they just look kind of off and and kind of slow in terms of connection 
so we'll talk about tonight's game. They got a back-to-back. Do you think that scenario helps garner some more connection? Or do you think not having your legs is more of an impact? Although, like, this back-to-back isn't typical because I think the island is, like, a bus ride away from where they've been all week. So what do you think about that? I I was worried last week, especially when – they didn't play well against Seattle and Vegas is playing well. Like we got to give them credit that that's a tough game yeah. to go into Vegas. And I thought, and cause they burned them out. Like the car played 28 minutes that game. And so I thought there's no way they're going to look good against Vegas, but they, they were just a lot more focused. I don't know if it's because of the loss or they knew that this is a big quote unquote big game, I guess you could say. So I'm a little bit more optimistic for tonight. Um, the Islanders are weird. They, they haven't been that good. I know they had a big win yesterday, and, and the Islanders did also travel. So the Avs should be more rested. But right. uh, the same kind of problem, again, like the top players got burned out last night. Like Miko and McKinnon played 24 minutes. That's a lot for forwards. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I'm a, a little bit concerned still, but just the way they bounced back last week, I guess, gives me a little bit more hope. Yeah, that um they'll they'll put together a better effort tonight. Yeah, and I'd say what I've noticed too is that like they seem to be playing to their competition a little bit early on in the year. Yeah, which I think mm-hmm. is just a sign of what Ezra was talking to, which is that I don't think everyone is like all the way emotionally invested at times yet, which is why I think you see the Abs perform better in the scenarios where they play the Rangers or the Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think. What Bednar will probably get on the guys on about is getting up for some of these games that aren't really marquee matchups. What do you think of tonight's matchup, Ezra? And do you? I, I wouldn't consider this a marquee matchup, would you? Uh, I wouldn't either. The Islanders obviously didn't make the playoffs last year, had a really rough year. Um, they do have a good team, though. Right. Um, I think that there's 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 a possible playoff team in there right now. So I I don't know that it's a game that I would say like Vegas or New York, uh, the the Rangers, I should say, um, that they, the Avs would necessarily get up for based on the competition. But I do think coming off a game like last night, they're going to be motivated to show they've got something right. more than they showed against the Devils. And I would really like to see um, the 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 like time management handled a little bit better in the first period. Let's get the fourth line playing some more minutes in the first period at least because if you are in a situation later in the game where you have to shorten your bench fine but like we can't be given three minutes to jacob mcdonald again that doesn't make any sense yeah it's like why even have that guy on the bench if he's gonna skate for three minutes it just doesn't even make sense and yeah it speaks to what kind of jackie was talking about which is like if you burn out these top guys especially early in the game and then you have no one else to go to late in the game because you're trying to win, uh, then you can really compound the issue. And then that's when, knock on wood, things like injuries come into play. So, like, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that this isn't necessarily a marquee matchup, but it is one that I think the Avs will have plenty to get up for based on how the Devils game um, went. Mm-hmm. And Jackie, maybe you can speak on this a little bit. The Avs last year won 11 of 8, their first 18. And right now they have won 4 of their first 8. Do you think that we should expect them to be as dominant in the regular season as they were last year? Or is that too lofty of a a goal? Uh, In general, I think it's tough because they had that January last year. I think they only lost one point. 
So and that's just so Unreal. hard to repeat. Yeah. But one weird wrinkle is that after I think it's 27 games, they were 17, 8, and 2 the last three years. The exact same record. Wow. At 27 games. That's phenomenal. So I guess, yeah, it's really kind of crazy. It's a glitch I, I don't in know. the matrix. So <laughs> I guess it's fair to expect after yeah. 27 games, there's 17, 8, and 2. Yeah, so then um, after so. 18, they should be 11 <laughs> and whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, That's crazy. I, but in general, I do th- think uh, this year is going to be a little bit tougher. Um, the The depth just isn't there. And um, I think Bednar needs to kind of come to grips with it a little bit more. And like you all said, I make some lines that he's going to stick with because like, okay, new will probably be back soon. That's fine. But Lanny's not coming back. This is it. Like mm-hmm. you have nobody else to really call it. You don't have anyone you trust more to call right. up or anyone that's going to score more. Like this is what you have. And you just can't have the fourth liners playing second line minutes. The weird new hook line is really the third line. And then you have no fourth line that you just mix and match. Like you just can't sustain on that. Yeah. So they've, they've got to like figure some lines out that can play for more than five minutes at a time. And, um, but I also expect a better effort tonight just because nobody wants to sit on a loss going to Finland, waiting a week to play. Right. So I think they'll be a little bit more motivated, but, um, I think they kind of need to come to grips with, with what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think they're trying to like force the roster into the old identity of the Avalanche yeah. instead of like reassessing the situation and kind of finding that new identity. And and what I'm worried about is specifically inside the division in in the regular season is the Dallas Stars with Hudobin playing the way he's playing. It's I don't know. Ottinger. Sorry, yeah, Ottinger. Kudobin. Really... Yeah, he's... <laughs> Ottinger, I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> uh, but the way he's playing, thank you for correcting me, Jackie. Um, it's it's one of those things where they could dethrone the Avalanche in the Central Division um, if he continues to play the way he plays and if he plays the way he's been playing specifically against Colorado. Ezra, yeah. I saw you kind of go, eh, I don't know about that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, he did get hurt today. I don't know the details of the injury. Oh, really? Did, I did not he know did that. He did come out of the game today, and Scott Wedgwood came in and quickly gave up three more goals. <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, Dallas had a tough time today. But uh, I just don't really buy Dallas as a team that will dethrone Colorado. It's possible. It's possible. If Colorado doesn't figure their, their, their bottom of the lineup out, then it could be a, a real – uh, I don't even think it's going to be that tough of a season. I think it'll just be hard to hard to win the division. But I don't know. Uh, I don't. I'm not buying Dallas yet. I think uh, Ottinger's really, really good. Um, and if he can keep that up, they're going to be in contention. But uh, right now, Winnipeg is in second in the division. Yeah. You know, it's just too early to really buy into anything that we're seeing yet. Because um, Winnipeg's Winnipeg's not going to finish second, second in the division. Yeah, I, I highly doubt. <laughs> So, yeah, well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I, I like um, uh, my favorite thing about uh, sports is how hyped up everybody gets about what happens at the beginning of the season. And then by the end, they're like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the things we expected did happen for the most part. There are surprises every year, too, which is great. But I, I would be uh, uh, shocked if things don't kind of sift themselves out back to what we are. Yeah, I think a Sabres fan could write a book 
on exactly that because it seems like <laughs> yeah, every right. year they're like the Rockies of hockey. It's like, oh my God, they won their 10 of their first 15 and then they lost 20 of their next yeah. 22. <laughs> so it's I'm like much more optimistic about them this year because they started four and three. Like, yeah. okay, they're, <laughs> they're not off to some crazy weird start. Yeah. This could be the year they <laughs> this finally is more reasonable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I'd agree. I'd say like this year is going to be a challenge and, and a different challenge than last season or like the last two. I think the last two was like, we're ready to roll. We just got to get over these certain humps and prove ourselves. And this year it's like we've proven, we, the Avalanche have proven themselves and now they have to live up to what they've presented and continue to do so. So I think that that in and of itself sets up a different dynamic within the division and during the regular season. There's less of like, to me, the bone that they were chasing after on the treadmill. Like, I think that that, mm-hmm. that bone has gotten a little smaller, whether they would like to admit it or not. So that's kind of the thing I'm most worried about. I think when it comes playoff time, that will completely go away because the, the bone is the cup and it's as big as it is every year. So <laughs> they'll, they'll be locked in there. But I do think like during the regular season, we might see some ebbs and flows that we haven't kind of been used to in the last couple of years. Jackie, yeah. what would you say, um, fans should expect in the event that the Avs aren't quite what they were last year. What do you expect from Bednar and management in order to maybe fix that? Well, that's an interesting question because, um, like, I don't know, are they prepared for life where maybe they're not winning the division or at least it's a close race, which I think is okay. Like right now it is close. And so you all talked about Dallas um, you know, are they going to be the ones the abs are fighting? Maybe it's more St. Louis. Um, I think you can get in a hole early. That's hard to dig out of like Minnesota. Right. Um, so like, if you look at Tampa Bay, like they're, they're in that, they're in a strange division where they're, I think on paper, I think they're like seventh or something like mm-hmm. our, um, but it depends how they look at it. Like, are they okay being Tampa Bay where maybe they finish second or third in the division, but as long as you make the playoffs, and you're ready to go when it really matters. Is that okay? And I'm okay with that, but I just think it's a little bit, it, it would be different just about how dominant they've been inside the division for the last several years. But I think it would be okay just because they don't have the assets to chase it, anything. Like they never made big deadline deals before winning the cup. Like I don't see them just doing it now right. just to keep up with everybody. Like it just doesn't make sense. I think where they're at now is um, a reflection of, not developing, not having the assets anymore, the money. So you kind of got to figure out, make do with what you have. I'd prefer to see that. Like I expect them to add a couple pieces because they always do, but they're always going to be kind of like marginal fits. And as long as they come up with guys that fit better, like they did last year, um, that's okay. And I don't think they're going to make four deals and send away their first round picks and everything, but they'll add somebody. And as long as they fit, that's all right. Um, so they might have to learn to deal with not being the dominant division leader that they've been. And, you know, maybe that begins with the new era of defending the cup and what they're going to look like the next couple of years. Yeah. And I also feel like I'm picking up on the fact that they might not be as dominant as they were at home this year as they were last season. I think like as a season ticket holder, I think I watched them lose like four whole times the entire season. I'm not even joking. Um, and so like, I, I don't, I, for whatever reason, I don't get that same feeling from this club, at least so far that they're, that they have 
a, a different mode at home. Um, but I like the thing that I think matters the most in terms of that hasn't changed, which is elevation. So I think inevitably that will show itself. But Ezra, what do you think? Do you think that like the abs might have more issues at home this season? Um, I mean, it's possible. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think just because they're going to have more issues in general, they might have more issues at home. Gotcha. Uh, it, for me, it really comes down to like, uh, regardless of where they're playing, this team needs something from guys like Newhook, Cout. You know, there has to be a step up from the guys who are on the cheap deals if we're going to make uh, the the middle of this lineup work. Um, so whether that's a home or away, I I don't from you know, it, it all comes down to the play on the ice. Right. Not so much where the where where the yeah. ice is. So. I I only key on the home stuff because it seemed to be and actually when when I really think about it, it didn't matter at all in the playoffs because they they literally secured every series on the road. So, yep. I I. That makes sense to me because that's kind of why I was keying on it is like, will that be as important? Because I remember, you know, like the last two seasons, they're like, we want to win the division. We think home ice advantage is big is a big deal for us. I don't know that that's on the docket for them anymore. I think it's more about, like you said, just like filling in some of the roles that have left us. So I think this will kind of be all we talk about today. But before we go, I do want to see if I can get a bold prediction out of the two of you for tonight's <laughs> game. So we'll start with you, Jackie. Do you have a bold prediction for tonight's game? Would it be bold to predict Newhook scores his first goal of the season? I would say so. I would say so, yeah. And I like that one. Let's put that one out into the universe and <laughs> make it come true. If it happens, you heard it here first. Yeah, I was, exactly. I'm going to start hitting you up and before I make bets if it happens. <laughs> Ezra, what about you? What's your bold prediction? Ooh, um, man, I wanted to do a Newhook one too, but I won't. No. <laughs> I think – I think we're going to see two goals from the defense tonight. That's not bold. That's every night. Oh, whoa. Um, oh uh, the most scoring well, defense of all time. Yet, so. The car hasn't scored yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see him score his first goal, but that, that doesn't feel bold either, even though it's, it's true. He hasn't <laughs> yeah. scored yet. Um, I think we're going to, I think we're going to get 11 minutes out of Martin Cout tonight. Oh, that is okay. a bold prediction right there. That's like yeah. what doubling I, I'm up. I'm just wishing. I'm just wishing. Yeah. Uh, but They'd have to be leading. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hopefully they get up to like a 3-0 lead and we just see Cal all night long. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I mean, what I really want to see tonight, I know this isn't bold prediction. This is bold prediction time, not time for for this. But what I really want to see tonight is just a little bit of of experimentation with the lines. See what – see what – uh Rantanen looks like with new hooks see what Cout looks like with McKinnon maybe you yeah know? I'm a... <laughs> anyway you're trying to end the show I'm hey, sorry no you're good I like that <laughs> a Cout with McKinnon hang on if we see that I'm also gonna call you before I make yep. that <laughs> <laughs> right on you too I appreciate you so much for coming on and joining me to chat a little bit of Colorado Avalanche this is Mile High Hockey Lab number three I want to thank all the Colorado Avalanche fans for tuning in we are now on YouTube so Be sure to subscribe. We will be releasing this podcast probably tomorrow morning um, on Spotify and iTunes podcasts. So please, like I said, subscribe, share with your friends, and uh, go follow us on Twitter and whatnot. Be sure to visit milehighhockey.com for all of your Colorado Avalanche-related news. For Jackie... And Ezra, my name's Adrian Hernandez. Thank you folks so much for joining us. 